Hi, I'm Iris Muller. I'm a certified rehabilitation counselor and a proud mom of two children, one of whom has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. And I'm Alma Schneider, a licensed clinical social worker and the proud mom of four children, one of whom has Prader-Willi syndrome. In this podcast, we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. This is Two Moms No Fluff. Hello, welcome to Two Moms No Fluff. I'm Iris Miller, and here next to me in a totally different state is Alma Schneider, my friend and colleague, and we are about to talk about a very interesting topic today. Alma? Hello, everyone. Yes, we are going to be discussing all things related to food, mealtimes, and feeding our kids. This is a very lofty topic for both of us, and we hope you'll learn something from it. Um, but before we, we start in with that, I just wanted to, I wanted to pay tribute to my mother today because today is the 20th anniversary of my mother's death. Oh. And even though you want to celebrate the birthdays, you know, the, the death day is very um, important too. So I have chosen to wear a necklace with her picture on it. And I'll post this on our Facebook page too. But this is a beautiful necklace that my sister Katie had made um, for all seven of us kids. We have some of her ashes. She was cremated. Mm -hmm. Some of her ashes in this locket so that we can walk around with her whenever we want to. And it's a beautiful, these are antique watches. And she had watch faces. And she had her friend who is an artist um, who who makes these, put some of her ashes in there. And although it might be a little morbid for some people to think about something like that, um, I like it. I like having a little piece of her around with me. And whenever I'm doing something where I really feel like I want my mom's support, or I just want her to be there because um, she'd be proud of me at this moment, or I need her support because I'm doing something difficult, like going to an IEP meeting, I put on the necklace. But um, I knew that today was the anniversary of the death, but my, my sister pointed out that it's the 20th anniversary. And I thought I'd bring that up today, one, because it's on my mind, but two, you know, we're going to be talking at some point about the role of, you know, grandparents when having a kid with a disability. And for me, it's been really sad and a, a huge loss not to have my mother um, on this journey because my mom, I think, you know, my mom wasn't perfect. She was an amazing person with amazing attributes, but I know she would have been so great with, with Lincoln in so many ways. So it's an extra loss for me to not have her you know, on this journey. So I just thought I'd mention her today because it is on my mind. And um, you know, I'm gonna imagine my mom just sitting next to me you know, <laughs> while we do this podcast, because especially because of the, um, we're talking about food today, my mom would have been so great with um, helping with the food piece of this. And I'll explain in a little while why that, that would have been the case. So um, do you wanna get started Iris talking about 
food issues. Oh with my gosh, I don't know how, how to talk this introduction of the topic oh, well, here. I'm just like, I want to you know, cry. I also I miss your mom without ever knowing her now. <laughs> oh, no. She would have loved you, that's for sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm not too sure about that, Alma. Alma, I don't know what it is about you that you like me so much, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're awesome, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. I was just fishing for compliments here. Yes, uh, right back them. at you, my friend. Is, Thank uh, you. As you always say. <laughs> so I, um, I, I think the the food is, uh, you know, an important part of our lives. It's everywhere. We need it on a daily basis, right, to yes. survive. Mm-hmm. And uh, for for many many of us, it symbolizes so much. It symbolizes family connections. It symbolizes tradition, religion. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. always there in uh, festive occasions and uh, when there's gatherings of people. And when your child has an issue or if things are complicated a little bit, I think maybe for us uh, a lot for your family, it just makes interacting with the world a bit of a challenge. Yes. And uh, I think that... Um, even sometimes the technicality of it like I know that when our family goes out with another family to a restaurant for the very first time the whole kind of circus of us walking into a restaurant and and even finding a place to sit is such a fiasco like we have our daughter's wheelchair that is huge and on top of it there's a mount with the Toby communication device and the service dog attached to her and then the I guess uh, hostess would like show us a table and my husband and I literally need to crawl under the table to see if there's anything like protruding that our daughter can accidentally bang her knees on because she cannot control her leg movement and uh, constantly like walks around walks around she <laughs> rolls around with blue marks all over her knees but uh, anyway so until we find a table that can work that we can uh, roll the wheelchair underneath and until we can find a table that there's good angles for everybody to sit around her because two people need to be on both her sides to feed her because a, a meal is like an hour of slow bites uh, and then we need to put a service dog underneath, dismount the communication device, fold the add-ons of the wheelchair, shove her underneath, sit down. And by then the entire restaurant stopped moving. Everybody's looking at us and we're used to it. But our friends, they're like, oh my gosh, that's the first and last time we ever go with these people. <laughs> to eat oh, out. not us. That didn't happen <laughs> with us. Yeah, but anyway, it's just like we... we just the whole kind of setup is is a problem and I didn't even talk about the food yet so I'm clearing the stage now but uh, yes food and eating out and eating in and having friends over is not easy yeah it is not easy um so with our situation for those of you who don't know about Prader-Willi syndrome the most um, challenging and the most dangerous feature of Prader-Willi syndrome is that people who have it are there's an issue with the hypothalamus and people who have the syndrome are hungry all the time they never feel full and it is very dangerous because there isn't because of the low muscle tone there isn't a gag reflex so again not to get too graphic but we are amongst friends here uh for a typical person if they eat too much they will vomit and then they'll be safe um for a person who has the syndrome typically they cannot vomit and um, 
their stomach could literally rupture from eating too much. So that means that food needs to be secured at all times. There needs to be a heavily structured setting with food. So in our house, everything is locked. The cabinets are locked. The door to the kitchen is locked. And um, because dealing with food is, is so tempting that people who have this are sort of like um, addicted. If you think about someone, for example, this is the way I describe it to people. If someone is addicted to crack cocaine and it's sitting right in front of them, they are going to have probably no ability to to resist taking that drug. It's the same with Prader-Willi syndrome. It's a, it's a, the brain is saying you are starving, not just hungry, you are starving and you will do anything to get food. So that means, you know, stealing, stealing food. If a door is open, it means, um, it means taking a credit card that might not be yours or cash that might not be yours and sneaking to order food to get food. So this is not, um, one cannot blame or punish the person who has this because it is part of the disability. It is an integral part of the disability. So that being said, it is a very challenging situation for, for the person themselves. Um, who has the syndrome, but also for the family members, people living with the family, because we are all on hyper alert at all times to make sure that the kitchen doors are locked, that the cabinets are locked, um, that the credit cards and the cash are hidden, the computers, any way that there can be access to get to getting food, like a computer, phone apps, um, and now with with um, all of these these delivery apps, it's extra challenging for a family that deals with this because it, with the touch of a button on a phone, you can order you can order food, and because of COVID, people aren't the delivery people are just leaving it on the porch. So if we turn our backs and go upstairs for a minute there can be the possibility of someone going out on the porch, taking it and hiding it for later. Um, so many opportunities to have a very dangerous situation. And um, this can, you know, this, this is very difficult for the family members, for siblings especially, um, who, you know, people want to eat at, at different times. And um, in, if it's in, uh, it, eating in front of a person who has this sometimes can cause the person with Prader-Willi syndrome to get very anxious um, because they're not getting it. There's a sense of injustice, like how come they get to have it and I don't, because there's sort of a disconnect with understanding that they don't have this syndrome, you do, or an inability to, to reason about it because the drive to eat is so very strong that all they can think about is it's not fair. It's not fair. That can result in meltdowns and tantrums. So food affects everything in our house. We have to have a serious structure for every meal, um, a certain amount of calories, because um, what's, what's really hard with this, and I've mentioned it in previous episodes, is that it's kind of perverse. A person who has the syndrome is not only do they want to eat all the time, and never feel full, but their body requires fewer calories than a typical person. So they don't even get as to have as much food as someone who has, you know, the hypothalamus working properly. So, you know, there's a lot more to say about it, but um, that's kind of the beginning of it. And um, I'll pass the baton back to you, Iris, um, about how things function on a daily basis with, with food and socializing. Yes. Uh, f first of all, I'm, I'm really actually 
interested in you telling some stories about earlier ages, obviously now with credit cards and the sophistication of the teenagers, mm-hmm. like the, the challenges are different, but um, kind of, uh, if, if you don't mind later sharing like a little bit more about, about the earlier ages and stages and the challenges that they mm-hmm. bring. But yes. uh, for us, um, I think most of the food-related challenges are related to the oral motor um, challenges uh, that come from le- lack of uh, muscle control. And it makes uh, chewing and swallowing and uh, sipping uh, drinks very, very hard and makes every meal kind of a life-threatening situation because mm-hmm. you can literally uh, choke, which... Unfortunately, actually happened to us once on a plane. And uh, wow. obviously, like, uh, it's like, like you know, we, she's still with us and alive and we managed to get it out. But it was like a, a couple of minutes of sheer terror in the skies yeah. where like, you can't call an ambulance, you know, and yeah. uh, it, it is... Um, A scary thing and also a, a hard thing because uh, for example like uh, for us at age 13 like uh, my daughter would allow people to help her with the uh, other activities of daily living like bathing and changing clothes and helping her transition from her wheelchair to the, the bathroom etc but feeding people Like we moved to Michigan like more than a year, and still none of the aids here is qualified enough in my daughter's book to feed her. So still, like four and a half hours a day, either my husband or myself need to sit with her and feed her because she doesn't trust the other aids to to get near her with a spoonful of food. And uh, there's a, there's a lot to <laughs> learn about how. complicated feeding can be and I don't know if you're aware there's like 200 muscles in and around the mouth that wow, you just you need to that. kind of control to to eat and to speak and this is why she cannot talk like uh, even though she's uh, cognitively well she she needs an eye gaze controlled communication device to speak but um when she was little can I ask when she was little was she able did she allow anybody to feed her Uh, when she was younger, uh, yes, she was more like we didn't have so many people involved in our lives uh, back mm-hmm. then. But yes, she would let uh, other people feed her. But uh, I think it's kind of also it was a learned uh, kind of a self-defense mechanism after mm-hmm. a few incidents of like choking. And I think maybe I'm using the wrong word in English for, for choking, like that you like, aspirate the food and you oh, kind mm-hmm. of can't breathe, right? Yes. So, um, so basically she kind of learned to be very cautious about who's feeding right. her and how. Um, right. And um, it's... Uh, It's a process. Which in a way is a blessing because she, it, because she is protecting herself. Like she, she, this is a way that she protects herself and she, she doesn't want to trust just anybody who is not going to feed her properly. Not, not to, not to minimize it at all. No, 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 no. For it, the positives, it, the silver linings. Yeah, it, it, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I think yeah. that, um, A, she's a very, very good judge of character, you know, yes, she, and she can tell a lie from a kilometer away. She mm-hmm. just reads micro expressions and, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, she's been sitting there kind of listening into so many adult conversations and like she, she knows 
you know, a lot. So yeah. um, a very good judgment of character and yeah. ability. But at the end of the day, um, the whole the whole process of feeding uh, for beginning with the nursing uh, mm-hmm. stage, you know, like uh, how does a baby with such like impacted the, I guess, motor control can actually mm-hmm. nurse and get their breast milk and how do we like mm-hmm. get her to be well nourished and how do we transition to solid mm-hmm. foods when when you can't really like place a spoon in her mouth because there is like the uh, thong- tongue thrusting that keeps on right. interfering so everything was uh, was complicated timely and uh, um I, I, again we're trying to keep this episode kind of short so we can't get into all the details but you develop a new appreciation of things that are so taken for granted in yes, the kind absolutely. of general population and with mm-hmm. with babies like uh, yeah. I, I really sometimes want to go to parents and kind of shake them and like it's a miracle you don't understand <laughs> like just uh, please try to look at it from my eyes and, yeah. and you'll be so joyful in your own life like uh, with my my kind of perspective of life yeah. now but uh, it's all about perspective yeah but uh, but anyway yeah, I'm sorry did she nurse did she was she able to nurse them yes we okay. were actually released from the NICU again mm-hmm. with that uh, nose feeding tube yes and uh, with the help of my midwives once she came back home and uh, I, I think maybe with the naivety of people not really understanding the magnitude of effect like or how yeah. how severely she was impacted mm-hmm. uh, impacted she she did nurse i had a lot of uh, problems with my status my yeah because of the my 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 mastitis is that the when you mastitis yes, yes i had it many ducts, times the breast yeah, infections the ducts, yeah the ducts are blocked because now we know the baby didn't suck kind of effectively right. so so right. it couldn't kind of drain the milk properly but uh, at the end of the day with the help of nursing consultants in la leche league and mm-hmm. uh, the midwives and all that we managed to kind of find a way to to nurse her and she nursed for three and a half years Wow. I can tell you I'm a very big advocate for breast milk. This is like mm-hmm. the golden liquid. And uh, I, uh, I, I know people are about to faint here, but I even nursed my son <laughs> for four years because wow. all that I knew about brain development when he was born about breast milk, like mm-hmm. every other moment of breast milk is like, I don't know. It's just like, it's all that is good on this earth. So yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, basically food is a challenge drinking is a challenge it's time consuming it's hard but we have a way to conquer that as well yes that's right and um for those of you listening who do have a child who has Prader-Willi syndrome I just want to note that there are ways to make this manageable and doable which I did not think you know was going to be possible when he was born and I read about Prader-Willi syndrome So yes, we are telling our stories, we are sharing the challenges, but there is a way to deal with this. But, you know, I think that Iris and I both feel that if you don't own, you know, and talk about the challenges and know that you're not alone, you're going to have a harder time managing it. So we have to, you know, deal with the, the difficulties and own the difficulties and then move toward action to make, to make, you know, make it doable. So um, thank you for sharing that, um, Iris. I did not know, you know, some of that, even though I know you very well. That's an information for me that's that's uh, very interesting and useful. And um, 
with us starting in the in the very beginning, um, and Prader-Willi syndrome can play out in, you know, there's typically a failure to thrive for most people who have the syndrome, but not everybody ends up with a feeding tube. We did um, in our in the in the NICU. We, um, as I mentioned in a previous episode, they immediately knew that there was something off because Lincoln could not suck at all. So he was given a nose tube um, immediately, and um, we did try to bottle feed him, and it just, it, it would take so long that he was not getting anything in because his muscle tone at birth was so low. He had such um, weak muscle tone that we, they decided we really need to put in a G-tube, which is directly into the stomach. And at first I was, you know, very upset about that, but um, because it really, you know, and I had completely forgotten about this, it is 17 years ago, but the, I remember how hard that was and how thrilled I was when the feeding tube came out when he was about a year and a half, because when you have a baby, and we talked about this before, and you haven't bonded with that baby yet, and a baby has a tube sticking out of their stomach. It is, at least for me, it was even harder to bond because it was so medicalized. Like this baby represented, you know, something that wasn't natural to me. And, um, and seeing that feeding tube was such a reminder that something is so wrong. And it really took me a long time to, to deal with that emotionally. And I don't, you know, I've never heard anybody talk about that issue. And that's why this podcast we're hoping is so um, important for people because seeing that medical device was a real hindrance to my bonding with, with Lincoln. And, you know, I, I feel terrible saying it, but I think it's, you know, it's the truth. And it really, um, upset me to see that tube and things started to change once that tube was removed because it was like okay he's like he's a real boy <laughs> like Pinocchio you know it's like he's he's a real boy he doesn't have this thing sticking out of him um so I think it's really important to note that for everyone who's experiencing that or if you know someone who has you know a baby just to understand that piece of it and, and again it's not for everyone but for people who have that situation, it's it can be a real thing. Um, but Lincoln had a feeding tube for a year and a half, and I did choose to pump. So for those of you, are, you know, I just want to make sure that everybody feels okay listening to this. Not everybody's able to pump. Not everybody is um, comfortable pumping. Um, but I think that it is important to have a support system to make sure that you work as hard as you can, and I, you know, I, I am going to say this, because breast milk does have the nutrients that formula does not have, breast is best, and um, it helps so much with the immune system in those early days, especially if you have a baby who's immunocompromised, which my son was, um, being, he was never sick that first year of life. He was never sick. And um, he had one, he did have one bout of RSV. I forget what that stands for, where he had to go to the hospital very briefly. But typically people who have babies with Prader-Willi syndrome end up in the hospital quite a bit because of illnesses. And I like to think it was because of the breast milk. Maybe it wasn't, but I like to think that it was because of that. Um, there was very little that I could do for his health or I had no control over anything. Um, when he was a baby, except for giving him breast milk. That's what something that I could do. 
I do not want to minimize how involved that was for my life, how all consuming it was. It was a choice that I made. The other side of it is that if you're giving formula, you have a lot more time to maybe do other things with the baby. So it's not all lost if you end up doing formula. Guilt is not going to serve anyone. Shame is not going to serve anyone. It might allow you to hold your baby more too, because I couldn't, you know, I struggled with holding the baby as I fed him. And it ended up being a tube going into his stomach that a machine did, you know, the work, or I held up the feeding tube, as I talked about in a previous episode. Um, there are pros and cons to both, but the, the best thing that you can do for the baby's health, it's just a fact. We're not, you know, no judgment. It's a fact that it's, 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 it's healthier yeah. for the baby. And so many people do not breastfeed because they don't have the support. And that is a luxury. I want to acknowledge that I had a lot of support. I was able to get an au pair to deal with my other kids. And the reason I had to get an au pair was because of the feeding, because it was so important to me that I gave him breast milk, that I needed someone to watch my two older kids while I pumped and while I fed him, because it took so much time in those early days, I could not watch my other kids um, to keep them safe to the extent that I needed to. Yeah. So we did have an au pair and that allowed me to do that. My husband did support my doing that. Um, had I had someone in the house saying, this is not tenable, this is not a good use of your time, or if they emotionally made me feel like I shouldn't be doing it, I'm, you know, who knows what would have happened? Support is the most important thing. So Iris, you mentioned La Leche League, very important. I had that for you know a while. I had people helping me from La Leche League, even in the hospital, and I really appreciated um, their help. I had the lactation consultant come. It didn't help me with the breastfeeding, unfortunately. It just didn't. It didn't work. So I did have to use the tube because um, his muscle tone was so low. But that's a lot of support. You know, and as yeah. I mentioned before, I would bring the pump with me everywhere I went. A lot of people might not have socialized and they might have had tremendous mental health issues because they never left the house because they were pumping. So in that situation, you know, maybe formula would have been better for them. Um, I, I did make it work. It was a huge, I consider it, um, I consider learning how to drive at the age of 34 and pumping and tube feeding for a year to be my two greatest accomplishments in life because <laughs> they took so much effort. So I, it was such a challenge to do it, but I did it. Um, and I'll, I'll pass the baton to you again. And, you yes. know, I can tell some more, some yeah, more information I, um, later, but I've been talking a while. No, no, it's just, uh, first of all, if there's any mother out there who doesn't breastfeed and have a kid's, uh, kid with special needs or without, please know that we send you a big hug and we love you and support you in your decision. The most important yes. thing is always your mental health, the mom's mm -hmm. mental health and well-being. And it yes. doesn't matter. Everything else like uh, doesn't hold. Like It's important that uh, moms are empowered to make decisions that works, work best for her uh, body and her situation. Yes. And, uh, and, and then with regards to the obviously proven uh, benefits of breast milk, even if the, the mother herself chose not to uh, breastfeed, there is ways to get breast milk from donors. I both uh, I and my sister uh, donated breast milk to other uh, babies. 
and you can still enjoy the benefits of breast milk, given that it's not exactly the same for so many different reasons, but it's still much closer to, mm-hmm. um, to the, the benefits of you actually feeding your own baby. But at the end of the day, the baby's best chance to, to do well in life is if the mother is okay. And it is like in the plane, you know, there's oxygen mask, put the one on yourself first and then your child. And as they once told us on a plane, this was like the most hilarious thing. They said, uh, if you're traveling with a child, please put the air, um, the oxygen mask on yourself first and then you're on your, on your child. But if you're traveling with two children, put the mask first on yourself and then on the child with the more potential. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> hilarious I thought but anyway <laughs> I'm just like oh that's Sophie's choice all over again in United right. Airlines <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> anyway but um, yeah that was a comic relief uh, in that uh, very uh, kind of deep and heavy episode about feeding but yes. uh, I think that at the end of the day yes uh, food is very primal it's very important uh, now in my life, like my family, it's like they kind of like condemn me because I just feed my children like absolute junk because I don't have the time and energy like to to do the macrobiotic or organic that my family likes. And I am a disgrace. Like everybody in my family, it's like they're busy with frying millet with quinoa. And I just like, who wants mac and cheese from Costco? <laughs> so um, I, I know that's a kind of, you can be or feel like a failure in terms of nourishing your family in so many different levels and when you have a child with like complicated needs when it comes to feeding and I want to also mention drinking like hydration is also Mm -hmm. such a challenge sometimes just to keep your child well hydrated so um, please know that we're really trying to share stories but we do not judge other people for for their decisions. If uh, I learned something in this journey with Karen is just to be a little bit more humble and to understand that I really don't understand what happens in other people's life because it can be so complicated that just do what's best for you. That's what I can say. Yeah, and you're reminding me that there are a lot of parents who have children with autism, people that I know, and their kids will not eat anything and they end up giving them things that they would never consider feeding their kids like french fries for a meal and um you know if another person is watching this again there might be this negative judgment like oh my gosh what you know look at the kid already has some you know is not neurotypical and they're making matters worse you don't know what goes on behind the scenes and some children will only eat foods that are white you know they're and all we want to do is get calories into our children so that they have energy and they don't you know pass out So it's so important, again, uh, I'm glad you brought that up, this idea of having an open mind when you see things. And this is, you know, for parents of kids with disabilities, but also for the general community. When you see how someone is feeding their kid, take a step back and think, I have no idea what goes on behind the scenes in this house. And that might be the only thing that that child is eating today. Uh, that is willing, they're willing to put into their bodies. So there are so many issues around that. Um, I also want to mention that, um, you know, the social piece, like how you mentioned, Iris, going to a restaurant and you know, how people are like, oh my God, this is so involved and I can't believe what they're doing. For us, go, you know, for somebody with a family, with 
um, a family member with Prader-Willi syndrome, you know, every social outing um, is a challenge pretty much. Um, every social outing because food is everywhere. And um, I don't know if I told this story before in a previous episode, but when Lincoln was born, I remember going to, um, he was still in the NICU and I went to a Barnes and Noble that I tell the story. Uh, he was still in the NICU and we, we took the other kids to a Barnes and Noble. It was just a couple of weeks after he was born. And I remember going to the Barnes and Noble, the kids were like running around and I saw a, that, you know, every Barnes and Noble bookstore has like a whole cafe in it. I just remember this overwhelming feeling of panic and dread and this depression wave, you know, wave over me thinking like, oh my God, I'm not even gonna be able to go to a Barnes and Noble, a bookstore and avoid food being an issue. And it was just this, 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 this realization that I will never be able to escape food, like even if I try. And for someone who is a huge foodie like myself, who has a food consulting business, <laughs> this was a daunting, you know, thought that I will never be able to, you know, I never, I, to be honest, somebody said to me when I was in the hospital, like, oh my God, and you love to cook so much. And I remember thinking like, I'm not going to stop cooking. <laughs> like, I love to cook. But it was this, it, it did make me think like, wow, like something that I love so much and get so much pleasure out of um, is, is also going to be my biggest challenge in the home. To, the truth be told, it has not been a problem. I cook when my son is out of the house. I cook when he's in the house because we have um, implemented a behavior management plan from day one where he gets his three meals a day, he gets his snacks and he knows he's not getting anything in between. So I close the door and he even knows if he walks in the room and I'm cooking, he's not getting anything. Um, I have to be very careful about that. I have to watch him, you know, when I'm when I'm in the kitchen with him. And if the other kids try to eat some of the food, I have to make sure that they don't see it. Um, which by the way, another challenge dealing with siblings is that a lot of siblings of kids who have Prader-Willi syndrome, um, there's a higher percentage of kids with eating disorders because we have to hide food, we have to sneak food so that he doesn't get upset. And unfortunately, that's, you know, the downside of some of this stuff for siblings, but it's something that um, you know, I think that Iris and I have talked about this before with all of you that you we have to make time for the other kids to run out and go get some ice cream or do that so he's not tempted or gets upset that he's not a part of it. But it's hard, it's too hard for him and it's not good for his body. It's not good for um, his anxiety level to to be exposed to to junk food that he can't have. So we try to accommodate everyone's needs. And just to be aware of that, um, if you have children who have you know, severe allergies or you know, issues with you know, wanting to eat too much um, or whatever the food issues are to make room for the siblings and to give them you know, a, a, as much of a, a typical upbringing as you can when it comes to food. So those are some of the, some of the issues that we've had, um, but food enters every single aspect of our lives. As we know, everybody, you can't avoid food. You, everybody has to eat, they have to eat all day long. Um, it is a tremendous challenge, but there are ways around it to make it not as difficult as it may seem at, you know, at birth or whenever you realize that there is an issue with food um, in your child's development. There, is, there are all sorts of ways around it. And I highly recommend, and as, as I'm sure Iris does, 
to find your community so that you can talk about this. When I talk to other parents who have kids with Prader-Willi syndrome, it is a relief that I don't even realize I, I need. Just hearing people's stories about how they have to hide their food, about how their kids snuck in, they left the door open and the kids snuck into it. There is such a relief in knowing that I am not alone. My family is not alone. We give each other strategies. We we teach each other how, you know, we, we share information about the kind of locks that we need to put on our doors and our refrigerators and how to, I go to workshops on how to get the apps off the phone, um, how to, you know, get, the, get, a, get an iPhone to not be allowed to have delivery services. We must find community for our peace of mind for practical reasons and for the emotional connection that, oh my God, I'm not alone. There are other people dealing with this. It's not just me. And that, it goes such a long way. It goes such a long way for our mental health. And it's, as, as you mentioned, Iris, we need to be okay in order to, to make our kids okay. That oxygen mask is the real, is, is the truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, just, uh, just another thought or comment before we end, it's, it's really important for our family members and for our friends and uh, people in the community to kind of, again, remember that uh, there's kind of an additional consideration that needs to be done even around food. I, I know that some of our friends are sometimes shocked at how long it takes to kind of finish a simple meal, like their kids are done in 15 minutes and we're just on the fourth bite, you know. So there's a, there's a, lot, a, a lot to kind of consider and the best way to kind of make the experience easy for uh, the other people and the family with the child with special needs is to have an open conversation about those things before you go out, before you meet yes. for dinner, before you have a picnic, whatever it is. And, and just uh, so everybody is kind of on the same page and there are no kind of unpleasant surprises because sometimes uh, even at this age and stage, we're kind of like, oh, we should have told them in advance that this, this and yeah. that. Uh, and uh, I think that preparation is the key for success. And uh, yes. last thing that I want to recommend, if you have a child uh, that has like kind of feeding uh, issues and special needs uh, and you have to kind of carry with you a bag full of like ready-made food and such and such formulas, etc. What I want to say, and uh, I try not to encourage people to waste money, but buy yourself the nicest food bag uh, that you can find something that would make you happy every time you look at it. So it's not such a drag <laughs> to prepare mm -hmm. all those meals and take the bibs and the bottles and everything with you. Something that would make you happy. It does change things a little bit. That's my experience. Yep. So every um, little um, bit, every little yeah. bit helps. Every yeah. little bit helps. And we're going to continue talking about food issues because there's so much that, yeah. that uh, needs to be said um, in social situations and you know, dealing with other people and being able to trust people who will follow what you tell them to do regarding food um, and not say, oh, I know I can handle it. And mm, you've never walked in our shoes with, you know, with the food. So um, there is so much more to cover. We will continue talking about food issues. But for now, thanks so much for listening. And uh, let us know your situations with food, if you so choose. If you want to vent or have questions for us, please put them in the comments and um, have a great week. See you. See you next yeah. time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
For more information, please go to www.twomomsnofluff.com. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating so more people can hear it. Thank you.